So uh, as you can tell, we're pretty passionate about outreach here at Bay Marin. You've, you've heard about Gilead House this morning. You've heard a little bit about Be to Live. You've heard about Plant with Purpose. Uh, it's my honor to invite my friend Dave Robinson to come up and share with you uh, a bit out of his own story. This is uh, Dave and his wife Karen are uh, what you call yourselves co-founders of Creative yeah. Interface, the co-founders of another local partner of ours, Creative Interfaces. And uh, in the series we're doing uh, around Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, uh, Dave has just an amazing story of things God has done in his own life. And so Dave is gonna share with us this morning. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Matt. And thank you all for this opportunity. <clears throat> Um, first, we're going to do a little group exercise, because if you know me, I would do that. Um, it's actually a solitude exercise, but it actually works better in a group, even though it's for solitude. So right where you're sitting, close your eyes unless you feel like you don't want to, but whatever will make you feel comfortable and <clears throat> get into a contemplative solitude space. I wonder if somebody could get me some water, that would be awesome. Uh, take your mind back to childhood, any age that you would call yourself a kid, and bring to mind something that you desperately wanted. When you were a kid, something you probably would not necessarily think of now, but when you were a kid, you desperately wanted it. Just anything. Hold that thought in your mind. Take yourself back to that space. And get all five senses involved in your memory. What might you have been hearing at that time in your life? Or smelling? Or seeing? or touching, or tasting. And think about that desire. Now what happened to that desire? Was it fulfilled? Was it, were you disappointed? Did it fade away with age? Think about what happened. Now fast forward a little bit, a few years, you're still very young, and you have another desire. Maybe you've forgotten the first one, maybe it's still the same one. But something you desperately want at this slightly older age. And note what has changed for you. The things we want over time change with our rate of maturing. Now fast forward to the present, and here we are in this moment, and you probably have something in your life that you want still now, maybe perhaps even desperately. 
And just like you can look back in your story in your life at what happened to those desires, something will happen to this one. You may face disappointment again, or it may be fulfilled. But the point is, at some point in the future, you will be able to look back at yourself now, and you will see yourself as younger. And your desires will have continued to develop and change over time as you mature. So let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for this moment in each person's journey. Thank you for the epic, uh, important, amazing arc of each story that's sitting here right now. For the past and the present and the future that is so, so, so sacred to each of us because it's our lives and we're living it. And we do our best to live. And sometimes we do it poorly and sometimes we do it well. Uh, but make us conscious of our story this moment and thank you for life and for the possibilities and for desire and for the, your generosity and the things you have for us. Amen. Let me open your eyes. I like little exercises like that because even though it's kind of a solitude thing, it kind of gets us all in a little bit of the same space, which is easy in here because we already kind of were. Uh, we looked at this passage of scripture, I think a couple times in this series, it's Isaiah 61. I'm gonna sort of just gently read through the whole chapter. The first words are, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now in this series, it's inevitable that we would talk about the poor. Like what Ches and Matt were just talking about in Haiti and uh, situations where you look at a situation where there's tragedy or war and you see poverty or many things that can cause poverty. Uh, so this is good news to the poor. And then I wanna take it on a slightly different twist perhaps than usual, but just listen and think of it as a message to the poor. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities and have, that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. 
Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion of their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes a sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So that's Isaiah 61. Poverty is an interesting thing. When you think about the poor, real quickly without pre-thinking it, who do you think of? What kind of people? Think about the poor. A picture probably comes to most of your minds. Look at it. Is it you? Is it your family? Is it your cousins and your close people? Or are they far away? Just, just a question. Any answer is fine. No right, wrong. Just, just becoming conscious of some of the ways we think. If you feel blessed and you want to serve and you want to give and you feel generous, where do you think of giving? Where do you think of going? Who do you think might be a recipient of what you have to offer? Does anyone come to mind? Just picture them and look at them in your mind. Perhaps they are the ones to whom this was written. And perhaps you are part of the blessing that's coming. But there's this problem. If this is a message to the poor, there's kind of, by implication, maybe, just consider it for a moment, that it's not a message to the rich. So do you see yourself as, yourself, as poor? Do you want to benefit from what this Isaiah 61 describes? Do you feel like, yeah, those are my people. I want to be among these oaks of righteousness and these, this wellspring of life that this is talking about. I want some of that, but it's a message to the poor. So what I want to kind of bring to your consciousness and then share a little bit of my story real quickly is Jesus quoted a lot of things, but this too, and he came to bless the poor. But I think from his perspective, if we compare each of ourselves with him, comparatively, we're all poor. Now I know there's a spectrum Anybody in the world can probably look at somebody else and think, that person's poorer than me. 
And anybody in the world can probably look at someone else and say that person's richer than me. And usually the spectrum we're looking at is an earthly, physical, temporary kind of riches or stuff. It's about, you know, if you're rich or poor, it's how much stuff do you have or how much money do you have or how much food do you have or not have. And this is sort of the spectrum we look at as in terms of poor. And you think of the poor and you think of those without. So I'm gonna let that hang there for a second, tell you a bit of my story. So in, early, in the early 80s, I started a little business. When I grew up, no one said to me, you know, maybe you should go to college and make a plan. I just hit adulthood, clueless, completely. I had this idea that when you grew up, things automatically happened so that you had stuff and a family appeared and you just sort of lived it out like a passenger. I know better now, okay? <laughs> Nothing happened automatically except my aging. <laughs> Without any stuff. That's the only automatic thing. In fact, <clears throat> there's a kind of poverty that happened automatically. So in the early 80s, I started a business, right? I had $600. Now, I said I was clueless. I really was. I thought somehow this would work. I rented a storefront for something like 500 of the 600. I had some equipment, and I opened up a little art, ceramics kind of little business. Uh, I was one of those street artists that you see in San Francisco, down in Barcadero or on the Fisherman's Wharf or like, and back in the day we could really rake in some dough doing, doing stuff like that. Uh, maybe they still do, I don't know, but uh, it became highly regulated and it kind of wasn't then. And I was one of those guys and I discovered I could design artistic things and it sold uh, and it grew a little bit. Eventually I was able to hire a person, and then two people, and I sort of discovered, not automatically, but through a lot of work and a lot of mistakes and a lot of mistakes and a lot of failure and a lot of mistakes, uh, a little bit about how to do this. And it birthed in me a desire and a passion. I, I, I began to get a vision for myself and identified myself with stuff and with success, and, and I began to have a vision of what I would be if this really worked. So every person I hired and every shipment I made and everything I designed and everything I created was all to serve this vision of me. That's a little simplistic, but it works for a story and it's true. And years went by. And by 1993, I was out in a parking lot of my now shop bigger than this room Quite a bit, actually. And while on a forklift, loading pallets of my stuff into four full-size semi-trailers. Four of them. And they were off to Kentucky to a company, if you remember, the Nature Company, that was at stores in malls all over the place. And they had a big order from me. And I remember thinking, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it. And I'm loading up these things and... Uh, the trucks left, and I stayed up all night. I sat there in the parking lot. I just was like, 
Watching the space where the trucks had been, I was exhausted, I'm sitting next to a forklift, and everybody went home, I had 12 people working for me, and I was just thinking, you know, I still really don't have hardly any of what I want. It's all just been work. But I felt like it'll happen now, because you don't just do what I just did and have it not happen, right? It's just, this is a sign of huge progress in me, for me, loading up four trucks with my own designs. And so, fast forward a little while, I was having this argument with God all the time because he wouldn't let up. I would have been okay if he just shut up, but he would not. So, uh, always this argument with God where I don't know how to put words in his mouth, but if I did, it was something kind of like he was asking me, can I have you? Who does he think he is? I mean, I mean, I know he's God. I know he's my maker. But if those, I would put those words on it. Can I have you? Completely. I would like to possess you and have you and do things with you as mine. He wanted a kind of riches and had a desire to acquire me. And I had passionate desires to acquire stuff. And being God unless you just decidedly shut him out, he will eventually win the argument. Uh, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't, he, the guy is just will not play fair. Some of you know this. Uh, he plays the God card all the time. So, we're in that argument and I remember this moment, and this part I may have shared before at one time or another. I had a skylight in my shop, one big skylight, and I went and I knelt down on the concrete floor under the skylight, lifted up my hands, I said, okay, you may have me. And I knew that he knew that I meant it, if that makes sense. Like, sometimes you can say something and you're, you're, the core of your being isn't with you. You're just trying it. This wasn't like that. I was all in. It's like, you can have me. You can cut me in half if you want to as a friend of mine used to say. Weird comment, sorry. Uh, and my life unraveled, and I was expecting the opposite. I was expecting more bigger orders, more of an established business, more of that identity that I had pictured to come to fruition, and it did not. I usually skip this part because it makes me feel vulnerable, but I feel I should say it. Uh, when I started this business, I also got married. Uh, and my wife used to call my business my mistress. Some of you may know a little bit about that kind of thing. Uh, and she said that because of the obvious reason. There was really nothing I would quite prioritize over it. It was the first thing for me. Because, not hard to figure out, I had my identity locked into it. So when I gave myself to God, uh, I didn't know that he was gonna ask me to give up my mistress. In fact, he didn't. Talk about playing unfair. He just took it. 
He's like, well, if you gave yourself to me, you're mine. Your stuff is mine. Your business is mine. I can do anything I want now. And he could. And, and I agreed with that. I was all in. But I did not expect it. So almost immediately, my wife disappears. And I mean that just like it sounds. She vanished. Her stuff was gone. She was gone. For eight months, I had no idea, nor did any of her friends, where she was or what had happened. It was this huge deal. Uh, also during that time, my entire product line showed up all over my own market, my own designs uh, made in China by God knows who. Just duplicates of my stuff. And so I'd been totally ripped off and my business began to spiral because I couldn't outprice my own designs made here. And it was extremely stressful. My wife showed up eight months later, pregnant with another man, making family with someone else. I had to deal with that. I ended up in the hospital getting esophagus and stomach surgery because of, uh, because of stress and had esophagus issues, stomach issues, and heart issues, and all this stuff. So I'm laying there in the hospital. Uh, there's a lot of details to all of our stories, I realize, and I'm skipping a lot. But I want to get to one point that I needed to kind of background it a bit. Uh, in the end, a couple of my employees took my stuff, some with permission, some without, and started their own thing. Uh, I was very sick. I was alone. The guy with the wife in the three-bedroom house and the, and, the, and the stuff was gone, utterly gone. And I got to the point where I had no address and no, uh, I had an old car someone had given me. And then a friend of mine named Mike, I guess I won't say his last name, uh, took that. And he had no license and it got impounded and I couldn't afford to get it out of the impound lot. It was $32 a day racking up. I was getting down to where $32 total was sort of my net assets. And so I ended up with nothing. Homeless and poor. Now I realize God had stripped and pulled and all this stuff off of me. And I say that with, I know this won't make sense, but I say that with total warm affection. I do. Because of what I learned. He's not going to do that to everybody. This was a me thing. He does it to some people who are really, really dense. Some we have a symbol for guys like me. It looks like that. Okay? Uh, when I lost everything, and there's nothing going on, and I'm sitting on the curb on Irving Street in San Francisco, looking into the night sky like I looked into my future and saw nothing, because the stars in San Francisco are invisible. Uh, just nothing. And I felt the terror of nothingness and the terror of poverty. Now, it didn't go on for years and years and years. I know people for whom it has. 
But I understand being hungry and having to work unbelievably hard, harder than I ever worked to make money, to figure out how to eat and how to be acceptable because what is automatic along with aging is getting dirty. Staying clean is work. Some funny stories there, but I won't, don't have time. I, I managed to stay clean. Uh, lots of funny stories. What God showed me was a secret. Paul knew this secret. The guy we call St. Paul, when he wrote to a church in Philippi, he has some greetings to them and some encouragements. And he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What I discovered sitting on the curb with nothing was the nearness of God. And I began to get it. I began to think, realize he started taking all these obstacles. I didn't know they were obstacles. I would have thrown them off if I understood. They were obstacles. I mean, would you rather have stuff that you lose when you die? No exceptions. Or, if it were an either or. Or, would you rather have God, God, live with you all the time? The one who made all the stuff and continues to make stuff all the time. Living, like to be with the source of all stuff forever. That's, I didn't get it. I do now. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. Here we go. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Here we go. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. God was teaching me, amen, that secret. And he's teaching all of us that secret. He's got to deal with our insecurities and our fears and stuff, but the safest, most secure, most centered, most unassailable, most practical, most exquisite place you can possibly live for the deepest sense of stability and security is having God live 
in you and you live him in anything. The circumstances are always temporary. All riches will eventually burn. It's all a matter of when. All poverty will eventually burn. It's all a matter of when. Now, how we treat each other with our riches and our poverty really matters because of what we're developing into. So as we identify with the poor, we don't mature evenly. Some of you are, might be quite well off, but think about it. There might be areas in your life where you're poor. Some aspect to yourself where you're still eight years old, you just haven't worked on that. If you come to God as the poor, you meet God's rich generosity. And as we approach the poor, even among ourselves here, as we approach the aspects to each other that are poor, we can be deliverers, messengers of God's generosity. That's a little bit of my story. I'm sticking to it. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I don't know what that stirred in you. It sure stirred a lot in me. Uh, so I wonder this morning, as we approach this communion table, where we come together as a community to remember uh, what Jesus, in all his poverty and in all his glory, did for us. Uh, I wonder what's stirring in you and what you want to come to this table with open hands with and offer back to God to surrender yourself to God. Maybe there's some nervousness or anxiety in you that if you do that, uh, God will strip you of everything. Uh, but I, I loved what Dave said. God works in different ways in different people. Uh, that's Dave's story. God's working in your story in a unique and beautiful way. Um, there's a reason we, we do this each week. It's, it's to remember that Jesus gave himself fully and completely for us. Uh, that he invites us into a way of living that, that often is the, the hard, painful road of the cross. Uh, but that, that path of descent of the cross always brings life and resurrection. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you. Thank you for your many good gifts. Thank you that this morning we can hear about stories of Haiti, that we can 
be invited deeper into our own stories that you are writing. God, thank you for Dave's story and how it touched each one of us here. Jesus, as we come and partake of the bread and the cup, I pray that you would grow and mature us more and more into your image to be the people you've called us to be. I pray this morning that we would tap into the poverty in our own hearts and spirits and trust that you have us in your hands and that you are writing a good and better story than we could ever imagine. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as you go this morning, may you know the loving arms of God around you, your life in him and God in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. The grace and peace of Jesus be yours in abundance as you go this morning. Amen.